Welcome to episode 18 of the Australian Athletic Podcast. Today, we have Cliff Mania from Player Performance Project. He is the head of performance there. Cliff, introduce yourself there, Ron, man. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I manage Player Performance Project. We're um, based in Kilburn in Adelaide. Focus primarily on football. So um, you don't really do much else in terms of other sports. We're pretty lucky. Our facility's got about 200 squares of turf, so we can do a lot of stuff. We have um, a decent gym set up as well with an iron age rack and some bumpers, some dumbbells, netballs, bits and pieces, but we're pretty lucky. I think the, the big seller for us is having so much turf, so. You pretty much have a mini soccer pitch in the uh, space of a gym. It's good, man. We do 1v1s, 2v2s, like, it's, it's fine. We've got some walls we can bounce off of as well, so. Um, yeah, man, we're really, really lucky to have that. And it allows us to do a lot more, like, even just technically, man, like, you know, you can do change of direction drills and, and stuff. It's full 4G turf, so players can wear boots. Um, we've got a net, we've got a golf net, so you can't play golf. Um, <laughs> banging balls off of, you know, crossbars and stuff, so... Then yeah. it was been around Costco and there's a few flying uh, golf balls. That's probably you guys going. Yeah, that's, that's, that's our lunch break, yeah. <laughs> now, let's go from the beginning, man. What got you into the s industry? I played, uh, I played a lot growing up, soccer obviously. I played a lot of sports to be fair. Um, I was pretty athletic. Um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing sports, ball sports, racket sports. Um, I was in the Adelaide United system growing up. So I went through, currently there's like NTC, state teams, all that sort of stuff. Back in the day, there was like, uh, there was zone teams. So it used to be like North, South, East, West and country. Yeah. And then uh, we had one tournament a year, and basically you got selected to join a state team after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that one year, turned out like really successful, going to the state team after that. Um, went to a couple of years of the state team, but there wasn't really an end point. It was just kind of like you just represented your age group in the SA, and then you know you did some tournaments interstate, but that was pretty much it. Yeah. So I played my first like senior game at the Olympic. Um, then I went to the youth team, Adelaide United, so... How old were you at that point? That's a good question. I reckon I was... My first year United, I started driving. So I was probably 16, 17. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I probably did state teams up to maybe to like under-14s. Yeah. Then I had a couple of years at juniors at Olympic. Played my first uh, first set of games at Olympic. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to United. I was there for like three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um... And it just came to the point where, like, you get too old. Like, the, the youth team and stuff had age limits back then. So, I think if you're, like, 20, you could only have a certain number of over 23 players or something. Back in the day as well, youth league was very different. Like, you could have players that play A-league. Say, for example, Friday night's an A-league game. And then Saturday's the youth league game. If player was on the bench for the A-league team and didn't play, they'd send them to the youth team yeah. to play games. So, a lot of us really struggled at that time because that happened almost every week. Yeah, and then um, so I was I just got timed out basically I just wasn't good enough at the time didn't yeah. sign nothing really happened there wasn't really a system where it could benefit players for sticking long term with the U team and then progressing eventually to the A-League squad it was yeah. only those few that got selected early this wasn't there like it's so much better now I think because I've got like at the time there was scholarships I don't know if there's the same setup where I think if you're under 23 uh, you're like under the salary cap or something. Don't quote me on that. I don't, I'm not sure this was <laughs> it, but there wasn't the same system as there was now. So, and I was actually in a really like successful group. Like a lot of the guys that I played with, which is good because I had a great experience, but it was bad because they were a lot better than me and I could never like play over at the top of them. Yeah. At the time I was playing centre-back and Ruan Tongi, who's now at Central Coast, who's played at the Socceroos. Like he was my direct competition. How am I going to be that? Yeah. And then there was Ben Warland, who was the other centre-back. And he's a, he's won I think two two A leagues with Sydney. So you ran a decent group of players at the time. We had it. We had our group was unreal. I, I look back at it. and I'm like, wow, this is a really good group. Yeah. We had Riley McGree played Socceroos, uh, Lachlan Brooks overseas. Um, yeah, we had a lot of good players, man. A lot of good players. Yeah. Mike Gush is another one. He's a Western Sydney. Yeah. Your football though didn't stop in Adelaide or Australia. You went overseas after that. Did so. Kind of got released. It wasn't really like a release. It was just kind of like you got timed out. Like you just didn't get, you know, you're too old. There's young boys coming through or whatever. Played. Uh, then I went over to the states. 
played college for two years. Whereabouts in the States were you, man? I was in Florida. So I played South Florida for, for a year. I played at University of South Florida. And then I played at Southern Illinois. Um, and yeah, so I played two years. And they were actually like really, really good years. I'll say this, a lot of people have, um, a lot of people have issues with, with like college, uh, especially soccer. Uh, I, I was super fortunate and I'm always going to be, I'm always going to rave about college soccer because I went to two really good schools. So I had a really good experience. Both schools were competitive teams with good players. A lot of the players that I played with are also playing professionally now. So I was just super fortunate. Do you think the talent over there is better than what we currently have in Australia? Or at the time, were they better than what we had in Australia? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I think at the same level, I think it was. So, like, for example, I was in college and I was playing with people that were from 18 up to about 22, 23. I think our oldest guy was about 23, uh, which is probably around the age of any NPL first team. Um, and the level was really, really high. I think just professionalism, obviously, is a lot better. But, yeah, yeah man, I was playing with a couple of guys that played represent their country like uh, I played with one guy who represents the, the US which is like pretty cool do you um, think their system about like developing young players is just better to have more resources over there yeah I'm not sure if they I'm not sure if the content of what they teach them is the best in terms of like football knowledge and that sort of stuff but their system I think is just obviously they've got a bigger catchment they've got heaps of kids um, even adults to be fair they have like just more people which helps but also like you know, for example, if you're here, you, it's a situation that I am, you get to the youth team, you don't make it, there's nothing really, you go back to NPL land. In there, you have all these opportunities to go play college, you get an education for free, something you don't get. I mean, here we have Hex and all that, it's not the same. Yeah, you actually... That's something that you're doing externally Yeah. towards your football, whereas this is, you're doing your football plus you have to study yeah. so you can get a degree. Exactly, and some of the setups are unreal. My setup in South Florida, a lot of professional, like, you know, get all the food, all, all the... Um, yeah, S and C coaching, um, access to like really good facilities. It was just yeah, it was unreal. So I think by virtue of having a good system, not necessarily like teaching people the right things, but the structure and stuff is there. If you get X amount of people in, you're probably gonna get X amount of people out back out, yeah. you know what I mean? Like so I think the system is there, people just sort of filter through and you are going to get gems because the system's great. Well, I guess you say that professionalism, what in particular now looking back as a coach, what part of that professionalism was a really exacerbated there to make those players have more opportunity. Like, uh, like physical, it, yeah. physical fitness was a huge one, man. Like we were fit. That's the fittest I've ever been. When I finished my, I reckon like August twenty nineteen, which is when I finished up at, yeah, probably like yeah, August twenty nineteen, I finished up at um, Southern Illinois. I was the fittest I've ever been, man. I was strong. I was fast. We had full time S and C staff, so you get all that sort of access. You got unreal weight rooms anyone that knows US college weight rooms knows how unreal they are in terms of the resources you have um, starting starting there starting being fit makes everything easier obviously and then the level of competition is so much higher because football is a world game everyone in the states especially because there's a lot of immigrants from Latin America overseas Europe whatever competition is just so much higher yeah. like every game you play is like, it's like a world cup for some of these people you know so here, the level of competition isn't really there. Like, for example, now, um, you know, MPL's finished. Some people might play African Cup of Nations. That's two weekends. And there's not much else until MPL starts. You go play indoor at your local yeah, <laughs> recreational football. facility. Yeah, yeah. Park or something, yeah. Uh, in the States, it was, there's competitions all the time. There's summer competitions. It's traveling. You can play people from interstate. And yeah. It's so much more competitive in that way. Yeah. Which I think just brings out better people. What do you notice about the American game versus the Australian game? What's the biggest difference in the football? Uh, the physicality, man. It's super physical. Super physical. Like, in terms of the challenges are hard. Like, I'm not saying, you know, the challenges aren't hard here, but like, you know, bigger, stronger, faster players means everything's always going to be harder. The tempo is crazy as well. Like, we played very direct at both schools. Um, and, yeah, keeping up with that tempo is a very, very hard tempo. Um, whereas here, I think everything's a little bit more measured, I think is the right word. Like everyone's kind of a little bit more timid and everyone's not as fit. So you don't have, you, you can't go 100 miles now because you know everyone's not fit. So, um, I will say this though, in the States, in college, you have unlimited substitution. So you can basically have a fresh team every other minute. Why? 
why do they have that rule implemented? There's so many weird rules in the States. Uh, that is one of them. But uh, I think it comes from things like football. I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually what college football is like. But I'm pretty sure you can have unlimited substitution. I think in the NFL you have a limited number. You can only have... They come on and off as many yeah. times as they want, but there's only a certain number of... Interchange. It's kind of like footy, you know? You yeah, 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 yeah. Like third quarter or fourth quarter, you have to really manage your interchange. Well, speaking of which... Were there high injury rates because of that because they're making bigger efforts or was it actually decreased because of that? Oh, that's a good question. Because, um, let's face it, if you're on the pitch the whole time, you're going to be playing at a certain pace. Yes, injury risk is there. But if you're then coming on and off, on and off, whether you still stay warm, that's a lot more explosive efforts that you're making at a high pace. I think injury, I think injury rates in general were lower because we were just at such a good condition throughout mm-hmm. the whole time. So... It's hard to make a direct comparison. I will say it changed, not necessarily, no, I will say it changed how you played. Because if you had five or six fast guys on your team, um, you can play super direct, get the most out of those five guys, bring them off the bench, you know, bring them you know, to the sideline for a rest, five, 10 minutes, go back on and do the same thing again. Yeah. Uh, the teams that I played on didn't really do that, to be fair, because you'd actually like to keep, the, the, the thing is with that, you can do that physically, yeah, but like the cohesion of the team is just different. You know, different yeah. plays, different ways, and it's hard to adjust. Um, injury rates were lower, I think, because we were at such a good condition, not necessarily yeah. because of that. But it made made the game so much quicker. Like, yeah. 100 miles an hour. I don't play games where I've like 10, 15 minutes in. I'm like, gas, oh my God, is this how it's going to be the whole 90 minutes? Yeah. Um, the best teams that we played didn't do that, to be fair. The best teams that we played... Um, when I was over in the States, they were very much like same same group for 60, 70, maybe start making changes then. Yeah. Um, were you in physical condition by the time that you made it over there? Oh no, I had, so I arrived, I arrived around June, I can't remember what year now, but I arrived around June, and I reckon our first game was in August. Uh, so University of South Florida, our first game was maybe August or September. And I arrived, I trained for maybe a week, and I realised, like I was not I was, ready. I was not ready. I was not ready. I was a grown man, man. I was like for 18, 17. I was just coming off the youth team. Youth team was grown man, but it was different. Yeah. Yeah, they're actually like physically such a high level. Um, I was not in the right condition at all. At all. It took a while to get used to it. Probably that first June, July and a little bit of August, I was very much out of touch. Like I was just not ready physically. Towards the middle of August, September, I started playing a little bit more, started to get a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Um, but definitely underestimated at what condition I needed to be in. Yeah. Um, and I think we overlook that a lot in the Australian program because I think we're trying to do less and less, whereas everywhere overseas, you're going to be doing more. I know Europe still has very much old school mentality where volume, 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 whether it be in their football, whether it be in the weights, they're going to be doing excessive amounts of volume, but the only way that they can maintain that is by looking after themselves actually outside of training. And I think that's where a lot of young Australian players neglect themselves. It's it's so hard in this environment that is so, it's right in that gap between professional and semi-professional. It's not professional enough that you can actually forego some of the regular life things like going out, partying, drinking, whatever. It's not professional enough that you can be like, I'm not going to go out. Football's not giving you that much more. Yeah. Getting paid X amount, it's not that much. Everyone has a day job. You've got friends and stuff. But it's not like amateurs either, where everyone's just... You know that everyone's on the same level. Doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Um, so it's weird, like, this sort of... It's it's this culture of, like, it's you're getting a little bit of pay from it, but it's not enough for you, for you to, like really make sacrifices but it's decent enough that you actually have to concentrate a little bit actually do some work outside so it's yeah. like I don't know I don't envy people in this position because it's like what do you do you want life still yeah, like, yeah. you want to go out you're being paid pennies to be a professional and then it's like oh, do I want to do this for the rest of my do I really want to give up all these occasions these weddings these birthdays these opportunities that I'm living out 18, 19, 20 years old for the sake of I might make a little bit more it's yeah, it's, it's, it's like a, be- a cost-benefit analysis, right? Yeah. And it's just not, I don't think it's enough, you know, the, the cost is too high, the benefit is too low for a lot, of, a lot of kids. Not everyone, I'll say, but a lot of kids. The mentality then in the college system, what were the players like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll say this because we partied hard in the States, man. Like, 
two teams that I was on, we we had life outside of football yeah. was just as intense as life on the football field, on the football pitch. So, um, professionalism was definitely there, but I think, and this is what I've heard from from a lot of pros as well. It's like the the, the better you get and the higher the standard you get, the more all the sort of professionalism stuff off the field kind of disintegrates as well. So I think it was the same, man. We were playing at a high level, man. We partied hard. There was people doing a lot of things they should not have been doing, but that was just kind of like, that was just kind of the situation. Work hard, play hard, time mentality, yeah. But you still turn up to training every day. You still make sure that you're in the weights room every day. There's no excuses. There's no excuses. There's no excuses. If you can do it out there, then you should be able to do it in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, was, that was the kind of the mentality that it was. And, uh, you know, it wasn't great. Like, I'm not going to say that we, we were like, you know, the best team out there and could have been better if some of that stuff was 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 limited but it's the same thing it's like a cost benefit like for us having to go on a party or doing this or doing that in that way you know the benefit was going to be us on the field so yeah 100% yeah what were you studying when you were there studying exercise science this kind of goes back to the original question but yeah studying exercise science um, so when I was at University of South Florida I did a big chunk of my exercise science degree they didn't have a very good program there at the time um is exercise science over there similar to what it is here yeah very similar very so when i was at the university of south florida almost identical in mm-hmm. terms of like the, the the offerings in terms of the courses and stuff and then when i went to south uh southern illinois um i actually had to transfer into exercise physiology so very more clinical based um i did like well, we did a placement. We had to go to a cardiac unit, so that was that was pretty. Cool. It'd probably be similar to what I did here with exercise physiology as well. You have your base, and then you can either specialize in neuro, cardiac, metabolic, musculoskeletal. In this case, exactly, yeah. so you pretty much specialize in the area that you really want to go to. Exactly, I had like heaps of exposure to different things, um, but really good. The, the program at South Southern Illinois was actually really good, so I was pretty lucky to to go to to. Go to to end up there to finish because I got little bits and pieces that I probably wouldn't have gotten if I stayed at South Florida in terms of my academic career. So, um, yeah, that was, I, I always liked it to be fair. I really always enjoyed it. I didn't know whether, looking back at it now, I didn't know whether I was just good at it or something that I enjoyed. I think it was kind of a little bit of both. Um, but that's kind of where that SNC journey started. Had a couple of really good SNC coaches, had a couple of really bad ones too. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was as big of a learning experience as the good ones, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was uh, started there. I got my uh, CSCS when I was over there. Um, I actually did all the requirements, but I I sat the test here. In, yeah. In Adelaide, so I finished all my the requirements, sat the test here. Um, then I did my Ascribility one, yeah. and then always kind of be interested in the field. It was always kind of good, like the sciencey stuff, science-based stuff. Um, Started really coaching probably when I was in the States, getting printed for my CSCS. I was just about to ask, what was your first exposure to coaching? Uh, it was probably a couple of internships that I did in the States. Yeah. As part of the CSCS, I think, uh, I don't think it's a requirement that you do an internship, but it's like highly recommended. Yeah. You learn a lot. And a lot of the practical stuff in the CSCS is, um, is based, like I remember one question, and it sticks in my mind forever, I don't know why, but it was a picture of... Um, it's a picture of someone accelerating like through a sprint, and it was one of the questions was about like the angles, like, yeah. biomechanics-based question. I don't think if I not, I think if I've not done my internship, I would not have answered that question right. So stuff like that, the practical side of the CSCS is very much about the stuff that you learn in your internship. So I did one, I did two actually, um, and they were great. They were really really good. They were, it was coaching that college environment, which I think is is a great place to start. Yeah. Coupled with the academic sort of in that clinical base, working with, especially, the, I always remember the cardiac because that was, I did a big placement in cardiac. Yeah. Um, cardiac rehab, which was really good. Really good, I really enjoyed that. So, um, first experience coaching is probably those first internships. Yeah. Now, we expressed to everyone, was that internship part of the uni- or the college program or was it added on top of what you were doing? It was added. So... And that's the thing, even in Australia, you don't 
have to wait for your internships. You've got to go seek them out so you can get that experience. And like you said, you're going to get more from the academic side if you have just that little bit of practical experience behind you. Huge, uh, hugely important for me personally. I, I, I'm very nerdy. I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm very nerdy. I like the numbers and stuff like that. I can understand why you and Adam got along so yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out to Adam. He's, he's my fellow nerd. Um, <laughs> but a lot of that sort of stuff doesn't mean anything if you can't apply it. So I was kind of, it was a bit of a shock to be fair when I started because you realize that all that numbers and stuff doesn't really matter. Um, the basics, so someone said, one of the guys in my intern, my internship said this to me, he said, um, you're, in the, you're in the business of behavior change, so you have to be able to, to, to talk to people, to relate to soft skills, etc." cetera. Um, you think about it like that, you really are, you, you have to be good at that sort of stuff. Like anyone can get a program off of the internet and the work, but if you're an SC coach, you're in the business of changing someone's behavior, physical behaviors, yes, and the way that they move, but also behaviors in general. Yeah. Joe DeFranco terms of bipolar coaching. You gotta have different personalities for different people. Exactly, exactly. I think that's that's the biggest challenge as well is because you're an SNC coach, even in the college environment to be fair. You're with guys maybe an hour and a half, two hours a day, but a lot more of their success with an athlete is based on the hours that they don't spend in you. So you have to be able to make make a significant impact in that two hours so that it affects the other time that they're not with you, the other sort of twenty two hours a day, that actually is actually gonna make a a benefit so exactly that's what I learned very quickly I was like it's not about the numbers it's not about the techniques and the periodizations and all that sort of stuff you just need to be able to talk to someone get them to do what you want them to do yeah manipulation but in a good way Mm -hmm. yeah you mentioned you had a cardiac placement you have your own cardiac story don't you about America I do I do (laughs) I know this one already so you're gonna have to tell everyone (laughs) so I was oh I can't remember how old I was but Came off of a really long season. I played all through the summer in um, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Uh, I it was a long year. Like it was a long year. I played probably from January all the way through to probably mid August. I was playing games. I probably ended up playing like fifty or sixty games in that time. It was a lot. Um, so I was pretty run down. But I was like, yeah, this is it's not that bad. It was the middle of summer in, in the states, so thought maybe you know it's warm whatever like you just get tired because of the, the weather um it's back on campus at southern illinois i was playing a, one of the first games of the season it was like a just a like a trial game almost we had these uh vx sport gps bra things where it's like gps and and uh heart rate combined mm-hmm. and we wore them all the time and there was someone behind the computer that would you know do all the data and stuff for us uh Super hot day, put it on, played. Uh, I was lucky enough to start this game. I wasn't actually a starter at Southern Illinois. I could come off the bench most of the time, but lucky enough to start this game. Playing really well. Um, ball went out, got subbed off. It was like maybe like 10 or 15 minutes of the game. I was like, oh, that's, that's a bit weird. We, we like, it's unlimited subs, but I wasn't expecting to get subbed yeah. off. Like, we really not that early. Not that early. So I thought, oh, it must be like a tactical change or something. Got caught off. Coach just said, sit down. I was like, alright, cool. Sat down, sort of relaxed, got my breath back. Um, one of the data guys obviously told the coach to take me off. I didn't, I didn't know at the time. So I was just sitting down, I was like, alright, can I go back on? What's happening? I was trying to get the coach's attention. In the middle of the game, so there was a lot happening, I understand. Thought maybe I wasn't doing something well, or you know. Data guy taps me on the show and says, you need to come with me. We think something's gone on with your heart. I was like, alright, cool. Went inside. Um, he didn't tell me the time, but my heart rate was like 210, 220. Shit. Like super high. You might reach, like a good athlete might reach 200, um, but it's like, you know, to stay up that That's high. where they're making a maximal effort. Well, yeah, that's like maybe like, I don't know, Olympics like cyclists you know, around a track or something where they're really going for it. But I was just chilling and I was like, ooh, it's kind of high. Kind of stayed around that 200 mark for a while. And I was like, ooh. Well, I didn't know the time, by the way. I just like, you know, they got me in and I was like, oh, yeah, it might be heat strong. Put me in the... Put me in a cold tub. So got me inside, into the change rooms. Had to keep all my stuff on. Got me, dug me in a cold tub. Uh, got me out. I was, I was all right. I wasn't like, you know, huffing, puffing, anything. I was fine. I could kind of feel my heart beating, but it wasn't that, like, wasn't that crazy. Um, chilled out. And then they're like, look, we think something serious is happening here. So we might take you to see a doctor. Uh, took me... 
took me to see the doctor. I remember, okay, so the following day, I actually went to see a cardiologist. So I went to a specialist. Um, I was fine. I felt okay. Um, I, I didn't, I shouldn't say I felt okay. I felt like how I should feel after like playing 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah. Again. Like, I was huffing and puffing, but I was like, fine. But you didn't feel like your heart was about to pop out of your chest. I didn't feel like I was having a heart attack. Yeah. Next day, um, the data guy sent me off with one of the trainers to the cardiologist. The data guy comes, the data guy just gives the trainer all of the, all of the, the heart rates and stuff throughout the session. He sees like, a huge spike, it kind of stays there, goes down 180, goes back up, like definitely something's happening. Sends you all that stuff. Now, mind you, the VX stuff is not super accurate. So I give you a decent idea where your heart rate is, but it's not like an ECG yeah. like, track. It's not, it's not super accurate. Sends you to see the cardiologist, cardiologist says, this looks suspicious. Since you're an athlete, these things can lead to sudden death. We need to investigate this. Shit. Put on, uh, it was a six lead, uh, like a Hulk monitor. So that's yeah. one you have like, in your pocket. The way I can explain to people is like, for this particular one, I had all the wires and stuff, and it was hooked onto what kind of looked like an old, old school Tamagotchi. Yeah. And that's where it, all, it did all its data collection or whatever. That stayed constantly on. But then I had another phone. It was like an old Motorola phone. It was a smartphone, but the Tamagotchi thing would talk to the phone, the phone and send data through wireless, whatever. I didn't really investigate, to be fair, because I just, I was just <laughs> like, I don't want to get this thing off me. Um, 28 days. So I'd have to think, keep things, this thing strapped onto me for 28 days. Couldn't shower with it, obviously, but mm-hmm. everything else I was doing at 28 days. So they have like a time limit where it sends off a signal if you're not wearing it? Yeah, so I didn't know this at the time, but I would take it off the shower. I think it was like, a, it was 25 or 30 minutes that it would like clock on and clock off. So if I didn't have it on, uh, after 30 minutes, it would send some type of alarm or something. Um, a couple of times, I remember one time in the middle of the night, they called me. I was actually sleeping this time and my heart rate dropped pretty low. I was pretty fit at the time. Like I said, it's probably the fittest I've ever been. So my heart rate was maybe high 30s, 40s when I was sleeping. So I was like pretty low. Yeah. Got a phone call from the Motorola phone. They're like, yeah, this is the cardiologist or whatever, cardiologist office. We're seeing really low heart rate, just want to make sure you're okay. I was like, yep, fine, everything's okay. Kind of woke me up in the middle of the night, but, you know, whatever. Um, then I had to wear it when I was playing as well. So I had to have it, like, like taped to my chest. Yeah. Um, kind of like underneath my armpit a little bit, like underneath my boob. But then they had to put the strap over it for the VX, so it was yeah. kind of hidden. Um, Played with it a couple of times. They called me while I was playing, saying your heart rate's high, but I told them I'm playing. Yeah. A little bit annoying, a little bit invasive. Anyway, there were 28 days uh, went by. Went back to the cardiologist. Kind of said, look, we've seen all the all the readouts from the from the ECG. Um, we've seen all the blips that we called you for as well. They're all matched up. It doesn't seem to be anything here. Um, we might just put this on a wait and watch. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I basically didn't really care. I just wanted to ask a question, like, is it okay if I still play? Yeah. And the cardiologist said, you know what, if if this is something really serious and it hasn't killed you by now, it's probably not going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> How do you take in that information? It's like going like, I'm not dead yet, but I might die. <laughs> I was like, what does that even mean? Why can you, how can you say that as a cardiologist? I don't know, I was, I was in a little bit of shock, but then I heard the bottom line was, I can go back to playing, everything's going to be okay. So I was like, sweet, maybe everything's okay. Um, have you have had anything happen since? Funny thing was, alright, so <laughs> when I was in South Florida and I had my physical, they caught a heart murmur on, a, on an echo. And I had, a, I had two scans for that heart murmur on the echo before I started playing that season, and they told me, yep. We've seen this type of thing before. It's all gravy. You can keep on playing. Yeah. We'll just monitor or keep it on your records, whatever. And I remember at the time actually because I did a I did a proper physical. Doctor did the whole. Was this before the incident? Yes, before the incident. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So this was South Florida before the incident, maybe two years before the incident. Shit. So doc doc with the telescope said, "Here's something. Go see an echo." Because I wasn't cleared at the point, I couldn't actually play. So this is like, everyone else is training and playing after sitting on the sidelines and waiting for this echo. Lucky it'll happen pretty quick, but got the echo. I actually had two scans on it. Had a, had two echoes on it. And doctor said after they said, yep, uh, what I heard is what we see on the echo. They match up pretty well. We don't think it's super dangerous. Continue playing. We'll just monitor this in case something else happens. And to be fair, I kind of was like, oh, whatever. 
like sort of fell to the back of my mind. I was like, it is what it is. And then when this happened, uh, and I had the lead and everything, I was like, you know what? I remember I actually had an echo. Maybe that's like maybe something going on here. Maybe it's like a little bit more serious. Yeah. But the cardiologist was like, it's fine. So I was like, all right, I guess I to touch these keys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so far, so good. I'm, I'm still around. They never matched the dots with those two incidents or? Then. Oh, here we go. <laughs> then I had another incident. I was just chilling at home one night and I felt my heart racing. And I was like, this is not good. This could be related to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started getting anxiety and then I started getting anxious about the thing because I thought this could be it. And then it started to make it even worse and I got in this weird cycle. My sister's an MD, so I called my sister and I was like, look, I think this is it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? She just caught, she said, all right, well, you need to, there's a technique where you can like, um, tell you to take like, like the, the ink a bit out of a pen and just try to blow really hard into like the canister of a pencil or a plastic bit yeah. outside of a borrower. And apparently it's going to stop you. It's going to like control your breathing or something. Yeah. It's called Valsalva anyway. She told me to do that. Nothing happened. Did it into a straw. Nothing happened. I'm like, I'm seriously freaking out, dude. What do I do here? <laughs> She's like, you might need to call an ambulance. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not calling. Like, I'm rather <laughs> dark and call an ambulance. I was like, look, I'm just going to wait it out uh, and see what happens. It kind of like resolved itself. But the next day, um, I I called my dad. My dad's also an MD. I called my dad. I was like, look, this happened. I don't know if my sister told you, but this happened. He goes, you need to see a cardiologist. Cool. Plan to see him. He's like, look, it's hard for me to tell. I've got all your... Lucky enough, I actually got all of my documents from the States, all the scans and shit together. I gave it to him and he's like, it's great you have all this stuff because it gives me, it shows me a bit of a pattern. Um, but... I need to do one more definitive scan. It's going to be a cardiac MRI. So it's a regular MRI, but it's just on your heart. That's going to tell me everything I need to know. Cool, great, you're good. Cardiac MRI was miserable. They like strapped me to this, uh, to the bed. They literally strapped my arms down, put this like cage thing over my chest. Holy shit. And it was like 45 minutes. I've never had an MRI that went that long. You ever been claustrophobic in your life? <laughs> I wasn't until they were just playing ABBA. They were playing ABBA through the, <laughs> through the headphones and I was just like, this is, this is not okay. I don't feel great at all. And I was like nose to nose with this the MRI machine because that had to be like super high up in it. Yeah. Um, I was like strapped down. I was like, I don't feel good at all. Anyway, I kind of like sucked it up. I did. It was like 45 minutes. Took me out, injected me with dye as well. <clears throat> and then because I was, I was really fit at that time as well, the dye disintegrates really quickly, so I had to get two doses of the dye. So I was in there for like 40 minutes, I was like, you just get out of here. And then uh, when I left, one of the nurses, the doctors over there was like, look, we, we normally know, like when we see the images for these things, we normally can tell it doesn't look like it's that bad. So you can rest a little bit easier. So I was like, all right, cool. Went home, did whatever. Doctor looks at the scans. Um, he's like, I see something on the scans, but... I don't know what they are. In my head, I'm thinking, bro, you're a cardiologist. <laughs> you should isn't know this. this <laughs> He's like, I don't know what they are, but they're indicative of something. If it is what I think it is, they're indicative of something pretty serious. So I'm going to send you to a friend of mine, a colleague of mine in Melbourne. So I was like, all right. You know, you know, you know how much saying these things. Like, these things yeah, yeah, yeah. happen very quickly. This is out of your field. You don't know this stuff, man. Like, I did like one cardiac rehab. Uh, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, in school and, and um actually experiencing all this shit so <laughs> guy from melbourne calls me he's like uh want you to send over the scan let me have a look at it and then um we'll decide what what the next steps is this guy's like world leading he like writes papers on this shit um great guy as well name uh andre uh, Lagosh. andre Lagosh. Mm-hmm. great like really really good guy um called me he said it's all telly stuff, right? So I didn't notice at the time, but anyway, I was actually meant to go. So he calls me and he says, look, I'm, I'm looking at the scans. We probably need to get you in physically because I want to just check you out physically. And I said, well, I can't because of the lockdowns and stuff. Yeah. This is maybe, it's early this year. This actually. is, oh, this is this year? Yeah, early Shit. this year. So <clears throat> I was still playing at Olympic at the time as well. And I was trying to organize, like, can I go? Can I, do, I, do I need an exemption? Do I need to call the government? Do I need to, like, I don't know what's, what's going on here. 
um, calls me and lets me know, like, all right, we might get able to get, get away with just doing telly, like, on the phone type thing. He called, call, right, said, I don't, don't have to go to Melbourne. Right, I can stay in Adelaide. Um, calls me and he says, look, I see what your cardiologist in Adelaide sees. I see it as well. So it's definitely there. Whether or not it's super bad, I don't know. But the chances are we would have known by now. So he basically told me what the garden stays doing. So in other words, he's saying if you were going to die, you were going to die already. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, all right, well, like, what does this mean practically for me, right? He goes, there's two ways we can go about it. We can put you on a watch and wait, which is basically just um, a list uh, that we put you on where you can... Um, you flag us if you have, like you have any sort of symptoms or anything and we'll like fast track you into the system. Obviously, if it's an emergency, call an ambulance. Tell me all this sort of stuff. So that's probably what I'm thinking of doing. I was like, all right, that's fair. He goes, but if we do have another one, these things seem to happen in, in the, for me at the time, he's like, these things happen in about 18 month, two year cycles. So two years, something happens, two years, something. This is in line with that sort of pattern. So yeah. if something happens in the two years, in the next two years, we might need to give you like an implant. So what does that mean? The thing kind of looks like a... Like a pace... No, not a pacemaker. No, not a pacemaker. I don't need to shock back into place. There's definitely something going on. Yeah. But uh, it, it's a loop recorder. So it yeah. sits and records it. Um, it kind of looks like a old school MP3 player. Kind of long and sits under the skin. It's not too bad. It's like, dude, if you have to do it. If you have to do it, you have to do it. Um, and I... He said, look, I don't think it's that bad. I think it's all gravy. But consider it an option so I was like fine that's cool that's to be done that's to be done but watch it wait for now which is, which is so good. I guess in that case what has been your decision from here I guess because you have have you made a decision going forward if you're going to continue playing football um I think I think I will well I think I, I enjoy it man I like playing it seems to me like if, to be fair, it's exactly what the first guy said. If something's going to happen, it's going to already happen. I would have been dead by now. Yeah. So, yeah, look, for me, I think I'll keep playing as long as I can. Obviously, it means that technically I can't play at a certain level if I need a medical because I fail all of them. Yeah. So, if I was to get a contract to play for Barcelona, I wouldn't be able to play for them. No. Um, so, in some respects, that's kind of like my, my professional aspiration is gone. Yeah. Um, it's not the end of the world, like, I think there's other things in, in life. There's other players that have had that situation before. Yeah. I've had athletes that have been in the AFL draft before and literally that's the thing that held them back from actually making it that next level. Yeah. Um, Clubs Andre, just don't want to risk it. Yeah, Andre Lagos is the chief medical kayak guy for the AFL and he said, you see like three or four draftees a year get pushed back because they have X, Y, Z, whatever, I don't know, not a cardiologist, but... How does that deal with your psyche? Knowing that this has happened, what, over the course of the last four years, maybe longer? Uh, How do yeah. you keep going back to football? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, it's not a great feeling, like, to know that you you always kind of, like... Do you still have doubts? You know what's funny? When I, when I play it, I don't really care. I'm playing, I'm enjoying it. I, I love everything about it. Like, I love football, obviously. Um, but... It's probably affects me more in terms of other stuff. Like, you know, not, not being like, knowing that you're going to fail every kind of, every medical, so like your professional career is kind of like, well, it's not dead because I never had the opportunity to like properly make it, but it's, it's effectively, it's finished. Like I'm going to have to... You know that it's not in your hands, which kills you inside. Yeah, and it's, it's, that sucks. MPL level is probably not enough to, <laughs> to kill me. Um, you know, the, no one does medicals at MPL level. Everyone just plays, and you kind of sign a you know, insurance waiver or something at the start of the year that says that you you get money, if you <laughs> there, you know, and then that's it, really. But so um, you're planning to play next season? Yeah, I play next season Olympic. Olympic? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you've gone back to coaching. Well, you've actually taken up coaching as a career now, back in Adelaide as well. Have have so. Um, yeah, like I said, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed all the nitty-gritty stuff. Probably fell in love more with the inter- interpersonal stuff about coaching. Didn't really, um, like I said, I'm pretty nerdy, so I like all the science yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of fell more towards, yeah, the, the um, interpersonal stuff, just learning about people. Um, and, 
the opportunity came up to go to play the performance project, which is which is really cool. Run something of my own and, and have a bit of control over it, which is really really good. Because um, it's you and a few lads that are currently taking over really the football scene in South Australia at the moment over there. Yeah, we're lucky enough that we have shout out Scott Velvet Kristen, um, Ollie Zaff as well. We've got a lot of people. A lot of good people are really, really lucky. A lot with football backgrounds too, so it's not that they're doing it purely because they fell into football. They've always been in football. Yeah, most of us still play. I mean, yeah. Scott's the only one that doesn't play, and that's because... But, but he still was still in the game less than a year ago, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he um, had a couple of health issues, I think, and just you know wanted to take a year off, and this opportunity came up. Perfect. He's he's the guy now. He's doing a lot of sessions. He's, he's basically running the joint, and then... Velvet's still playing WNPL, she'll play next year. Kristen's still playing, Zaf's still playing, I'll still play. Um, we're looking for a new coach, so if anyone hears this, <laughs> <laughs> <I'll play. laughs> This is your early bid to get a job opportunity. Yeah, hint, hint. Um, really good guys, guys that have been around the system. My football is very specific. <clears throat> it's very much a culture around football. It's, it's obviously tied with a lot of like ethnic stuff. There's still very like strong ethnic ties at clubs and things like that. So the culture around... Um, that's what, stuff that's what makes the uh, South Australian football scene so great. There is all these... Co- we literally have a World Cup every single week. It is. And uh, I've I've been at Olympic my whole like kind of like MPL career. And huge exposure to the Greek community, Greek culture, players that speak Greek, um, Greek food, Greek music, all that sort of stuff. I would yep. never have got that if I wasn't Olympic. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love that sort of stuff about... I you have it. White I, City, you have Raiders, you have Croydon, Cobras, Adelaide yeah, City. Camptown's Italian. Exactly. Yeah. So there's so much. There's so much, so many ethnic sides, which makes it really enjoyable. And it's it's good. It has its challenges um, dealing with a lot of these older coaches that are sort of stuck in their ways. And um, maybe old school about things like S&C, like, you know, we're just going to run you till you throw up or... You know, I know when you fit, don't need GPS to tell me when you fit, and all this sort of stuff. I, still, I kind of feel like that's starting to change with a few younger coaches coming through. 100%. 100% it's starting to change. Like, even when I was growing up, like, I was in the system, there wasn't really that much in the way of SNC. Adam was my SNC coach. Yeah. <laughs> my first, my very first SNC coach. Small like world, man. 14, 15. Um, and he he was starting that trend and you know now it's crazy most teams most NPL teams would have someone that takes care of fitness and physical preparedness exactly um, which was not there when I, was, when I was first started playing I don't think anyone in the NPL would have had anyone that was you know out and out like SNC now so. if you're in, in the NPL you have to have one every club has to have one yeah I think it's about outsourcing things you don't know about not many coaches know about that sort of stuff I mean you know I can fix a pipe, but if my plumbing in my house like breaks out, I'm not gonna fucking get out of monkey wrench and exactly. Like, I'm gonna call a plumber. They they have more knowledge than I do. I think that's the sort of mentality people are having. NPL wise, they're just saying, look, we don't we don't know some things. We not we don't have the capability like the the actual capability in terms of knowledge base and like that. But also we don't have the time yep. to like go through all this shit. Yeah. Um, let's hire someone to do it. It's changing heaps. It's changing heaps. So I think that's a good thing for. Industry is good thing for professionals in the game as well. I mean, as a player, <coughs> as a player, um, it's good to have a level of uh, professionalism as well. Yeah, having knowing that someone's there just look after your fitness and making sure you're ready to go. It brings just an essence of the college experience you had. It's a taste. Uh, look, I'll say this: like, it's getting it's getting better. It's getting better quicker, which is good. Like, the, the, it's accelerating out and how good it's getting all these new additions, resources, and things coming into the game. We're never going to be at the level of, of Europe, America, all these different places. But we can challenge, like now with Women's World Cup coming in, all this sort of stuff. Money's it's going to be huge in a couple of years. Flooding into the game, like hopefully we get some trickle down into NPL lands. Hey, competition and money breed more talent because uh, more people want to get involved. There's more to win from actually playing the sport. Exactly. I think... The, the more support we can give, the better it's going to be long term as well because, you know, we're not going to go interstate for players, overseas for players. You know, it can only be better for people in Adelaide, which is... Well, they can have a better platform to potentially go overseas, but they can also have a great system where they actually stay back here and still probably represent their country one day. I don't see how with Corona, the effect that Corona's going to have, but I think clubs are definitely looking more internally. I feel like clubs aren't going... Ali clubs, this is, aren't going... Um, 
international anymore as much as they used to. Yeah. So that's going to help as well. If they look, if they are looking at talent more at NPL level, then it entices people. Because there was a narrative in the past that oh, it's not, don't even bother. Like, yeah, you know, these clubs aren't going to pick you up if you're playing NPL. Like, a handful of players have come through NPL. Look at United squads now. Like, most of the players have come through the system, either the system or NPL. Then. Yeah. So, you know, the top players are obviously going to come from overseas, which is fine. That's just how football works. But it's good to see, like, at least some players that have been in NPL land. We need our next crop of, I guess, the late 2000s talent. Well, we had that great run in the World Cup. Well, two great runs in the World Cup. We haven't had that probably for the last decade. I don't know, but I think it's getting so much better. When I think about, like, that team, like the Badukas and the Bresciano's and stuff, they're all playing... Overseas. Yeah. Now I reckon there's probably more. Like there's a decent amount of soccer roots playing. There was a, there was a period there where a lot of soccer roots were playing in A League only, but now we've got heaps of guys that are playing overseas. Yeah. It's really going to get better. Like I think, the, like you said, the competitions are always going to breed better players. And yeah. It might it might not be there immediately. It's definitely not going to be there immediately. Doesn't happen overnight, especially when you're talking about having less than a tenth of the population of somewhere like America, and they're still not up there in the top of the world. Yeah. And you're talking about Europe where football's what they do. It's not a, yeah. a sport. It's what they do. Crazy you say that as well, though, because America puts a lot of resources. They didn't make the last World Cup. They didn't qualify. So, and we did. So, yeah. so maybe we are doing something right. I don't know. but um, This is, I guess, a bit more topic, but was it a smart move on behalf of Australia's part going towards the Asia instead of Oceanic qualification? Is, I don't want to. I don't want to like shit on the countries in Oceania, but like the strongest Oceania com- competitors, New, New Zealand, they're going to make it every year. Like yeah. they, their resources and stuff in terms of what they can do compared to Fiji and you know, American Samoa, all these like island nations. I think they need to join I, I don't. See, I don't see the wisdom of them being the only team that comes out of. Yeah. Is it automatic qualification now for them, or do they still have to take on a South American team? Because back in 2006, well, 2005 actually, beating Uruguay meant something. It was huge. Getting out of Oceania meant it was pretty much how we feel about getting out of Asia right now. Yeah. But beating Uruguay meant a lot. It was huge, man. It was wild. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. To be fair, I haven't kept up with this round of qualifications. Well, you need to know Serbia made it through to the World Cup. Yeah. (laughs) Put Portugal in a bit of a bind as well, didn't they? I'm very happy about that. Last minute winner. That was a great game. I don't know, man. I feel like, you know, historically, Africa only got like two or three spots for like, what, 50, 53, 54 countries or something like that. Like, geez, that's, you know, a decent chunk of the world's population live in Africa and they've got like three spots. Europe has got like eight or nine spots. Yeah. Or whatever. I don't even know. But, you know, you can't give, you can't be only two African teams in a World Cup. Yeah. Three African teams in a World Cup. So it's just something. And it's surprising that Egypt never make a significant impact. Yeah. They win the African Cup every single... Well, every, a lot of time. Lot of, yeah. yeah. I think there should be more. I think they need a... I don't know. I was having this discussion with someone the other day about how to make qualifying more equitable. I mean, you can't do it by population because it would be too hard. But I feel like there's some way to make it more equitable in terms of the... How many countries can submit a team into the World Cup. Yeah. Africa can't have only two. Like, Asia can't have only one or two. Like, it just doesn't... It just doesn't make sense. Like... I don't know. And then US, huge number of football, especially women's football. But they have to play Trinidad, Tobago, Jamaica, maybe another like, you know, CONCACAF team. It's like, well, yeah. that's no, like, that's not fair. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how, to, I don't have any solutions, but I don't know, that's, that's a big problem. It's going to be a great watch this space. Definitely. We'll leave you on, I guess, what's the plans for you going forward? Next season, are you focused more as a coach? Are you focused more as a player? Or is there still is that balance still existing for you? Balance no, still existing. Um, I've definitely flirted more with study. I'm doing my uh, post grad uh, psych degree, which, mm-hmm. is, which is interesting, and I really enjoy that. Um, playing wise, look, I, I I love playing. I want to keep playing because I love playing. Um, whether or not it amounts to anything, like it's like I said, it's beyond me, and a lot of the stuff is limited because of what's going on with my health but I want to keep on playing as long as I can and I think professionally like you know player performance program is going really well and I've got a really good really good group of people um, that are supporting each other really um, we're a good team it's only going to 
I think so. I'm going to keep on growing. I think our space is it's definitely untapped. Um, and I think we just got to manage the growth. And I think that's something I'm learning. I'm like I say, I learned I learned a lot through this sort of this first year. We've only been a PVP for a year. It will be a year in January, so just under a year. Uh, and we've learned a lot as a team. We've learned a lot. Me personally, I've learned a lot. Um, I can kind of foresee a little bit of growth, maybe to the stage where it really tests us. So we'll have to. It always hits that curve where it's a good steady growth where you can manage, and then it hits a point where I'm gonna to have to take some big risks if I want to manage this correctly. Otherwise, it's just gonna over flood you, and then you won't know you won't know what to do. Yeah, then you start. Then you start to go backwards because you're not gonna be able to, to to keep up with the growth. So yeah. I can kind of see that on the horizon. I'm not sure when it's gonna hit. I think it's gonna hit pretty soon. Um, so I'm just trying to manage that situation in terms of getting obviously the team. Great, but getting equipped and kind of offer opportunities to them with different avenues that they want to consider in the world and, and support them anywhere they can, and they do the same for me. So, um, yeah, professionally, I think things are going things are going really well. Like, I can't complain about anything. I think the, the study and stuff is always something I'm going to do. I just I like doing it. Um, it's always going to kind of be there, something I'm going to have to manage because you know, if you take on full time study load as well as you know working in the business that's very complicated. playing on top of that too and playing on top of that yeah you're pretty maxed out I guess you, you know middle of the season you're pretty pretty wiped out um, but it's so far it's manageable definitely feed off a little bit more than I can chew this year I think I have to manage myself a little bit better next year um, in a good way like it was a good learning experience anyway but uh, it's a lot of balls in the air it's a lot, a lot of balls that I have to juggle so yeah um, but yeah, it's that's pretty much it, man. So playing, playing for me is, is just something that I enjoy doing. I'm always going to do. I think. You've done it your whole life, and ain't going to change anytime soon. I literally have to drop dead, like the doctor said, for me to stop. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Knockwood doesn't yeah, happen, but not. shit. Yeah. Where do they find you at PPP, man? Uh, we're on Instagram, Play Performance Project. Um, we're on Facebook as well, Play Performance Project playerperformanceproject.org online um, we do all of our bookings and stuff online for sessions um, so you know have a browse the website the website's pretty good um, in terms of giving all the information you need but my number's on there on the website as well so if anyone's interested as well and if you ever gone for a shopping trip to Costco make sure you just stop across duck, the road duck across the road yeah absolutely yeah dude um, it's been an absolute pleasure thanks man thanks for having me appreciate the opportunity thank you so much guys We will see you for the next episode.